Hi there, everybody. My name is Karen Abramson, and I live here in Israel, but I'm originally from England. I have been keeping a diary since I was a very young girl, and every single day I record what's happened during the day. Of course, this year, 2020, is a very unusual year. This is my COVID diary. I want to share this with you, my COVID diary, and I hope that you would like to share your COVID diary with me. Hi everybody, welcome back to Karen's COVID Diaries. And here we are again, I'm going to give you episode two of my COVID journey. And I'm delighted to once again, have Rob Curtis join me tonight. I'm really delighted to be back and um, just hearing everyone's feedback from the first episode, you've really hit a chord with people's emotions because I don't think yet people have registered and actually understood what the last eight, nine months have been for everybody on the planet ultimately. So I am delighted to be back with you and talking about the next stage in the Karen COVID diaries. And it takes us all the way back through to February the 12th, I believe. Um, You'd just come back from Thailand, you'd had another magical holiday, um, but you were hearing of this virus, no one was really sure what it was, what the impact was still at that stage, certainly in sort of the Western world, um, and you land back in Israel. So take us back to February the 12th, Karen. Okay, so we arrived home February the 12th. We arrived home early in the morning, and I'm gonna read actually from my diary that I hit the ground running, running, shopping, picking up the dog, etc. Weather was so miserable. But by this afternoon, the sun came out and I was able to take Marquis, my dog, for a walk on my beautiful beach. Yes, it's great to be home. And did loads of cooking and baking in preparation for Nicola, that's my daughter, her arrival tomorrow. So February the 13th, did loads today, including going to Jerusalem, shopping and then to Tel Aviv to have my colour done. A great necessity, of course. And the news is not good. The virus named COVID-19 seems to be claiming lives everywhere. Not so many here in Israel, thank God, but certainly in in Europe. Nicola arrived tonight. She wasn't feeling too good and looks very washed out and has a hacking cough. Tally is also here and Zach came from Jerusalem. They are so happy to see each other and excited for their wedding next month. So Tally is your granddaughter and she's due to get married to Zach in the next month. And they're seeing each other whilst they're, they're here on, uh, on a short vacation to see you together with your, your daughter, Nicola, who's not feeling well at this stage. Was there any indication this might be the dreaded virus at this stage? Were you even thinking that way? Not at all. I, d- I, don't, I don't know why. I think, isn't it funny with these sort of situations, you don't think it's going to actually affect you. So no, why should, why should Nicola have the virus? She's got a cough, that's all. Uh, but things started to progress. Um, February the 14th, we had a beautiful Shabbat, Shabbat dinner with Nicola, Tally and Zach, even though Nicola was still really not feeling well. And by Shabbat, even though the weather was really hot and we sat in the garden, it was February, it was magnificent. The weather was fabulous. Nicola took a terrible turn for the worse. So Martin, my husband, took her to the doctor and she has got bronchitis. Well, so we thought, Gosh, but it was a little bit strange because February the 16th, Nicola really wasn't well enough to go with Tally and Zach to Jerusalem to buy things for their apartment. So the two of them went off together on their own and they got quite a lot done in Ikea. But by February the 7th, Nicola was really, really bad, very weak, coughing, no fever, 
and I'm just taking care of her here in the house. Although I must admit, I went to Tel Aviv for a fitting for my dress for the wedding, and I must say, it's lovely. And then I went to have a haircut, and I must say, I feel much better uh, than I did before, I can assure you that. And I came Nic back to Nicola, and Nicola had been here for, for, for five days at that point. It's March the 17th, sorry, February the 17th. Yeah, she'd been, yeah. Well, she'd been there since about four days. And she really, really seemed to be going downhill. And then on, on the 18th, I went with Tally and Zach to uh, Jerusalem and left Martin in charge of Nicola. And I got a, a call from, um, I got a call from Martin saying, you've got to come back quickly. Nicola has collapsed in the, uh, in the Tehran Square in, um, in Herzliya. And I'm really very, very concerned about her. Well, By the time, sorry. Wow. So you get this dramatic phone call and you're in Jerusalem with your granddaughter and grandson-to-be um, and or grandson-in-law-to-be rather. And you get this most shocking call that Nicola is, is, is unwell and has fainted. Yeah. So um, Martin took her to the doctor, to our local doctor, but he obviously thought it was the virus, so wouldn't let her in his house. And he literally came outside to, she couldn't stand anyway, he came to the car and he, um, he talked to her through the car. So he said, the only thing you can do is take her to the hospital, but I don't know, you know whether that's a good idea. Could, could you believe at this stage that already the behavior of people was dynamically changing? You had doctors, unwilling to be in direct contact with a patient who hadn't been tested for COVID at this stage, was unwell, but already the behavioral pattern was, I'm seeing you from the car. I mean, this is bizarre to us. Totally bizarre, but yes, that's exactly what happened. And I couldn't, I actually could not believe, I couldn't believe that that could happen, that he could do that. But he was frightened, he was scared. Everybody was suddenly getting a little bit cautious. Things were changing, things were moving along. Anyway, fortunately, um, I, I, mean, I put in my diary here that I was, I'm very worried about her. Maybe she has this virus they're all talking about. But then she took a turn for the better, thank God. And she was able to fly home the next day. She needed to fly home. After all, her daughter's getting married very, very shortly. So she... she... Just, just before you carry on, Karen, you mentioned there in your diary, this virus that everyone's talking about. Now, I remember I was actually in New York and Washington at the beginning of March, and it was still something that was new in the media. They knew that this thing was happening, but the way you've described it in your diary also gives us a sense that we just didn't know what was happening. And, and it was something that was happening, but we didn't know. Exactly. Well, the word China kept on coming out, didn't it? We were all hearing about China. So we thought that it was only the Chinese that really getting, we were all just taking precautions. Because the fact is, I didn't know anybody at that stage who had COVID-19. And you probably didn't either. Most of our friends in, in the Western world did not know anybody. And so, yeah, it was a little bit sort of not happening to us. So we just thought Nicholas got a very bad dose of the flu. As it happens, I can tell you that she didn't have the virus. She did not have the virus. And um, she just had a very, very bad virus, but not the virus, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. so, so carry on, take us, take us through to the next stage. Okay, so um, now we're on to February the 27th. I, I'll read from my diary. Went to Jerusalem as per my normal Thursday. Um, 
uh, did charity work packing food for terror victims, which is something I do every Thursday morning. And then I went to Mahmi Yehuda, my favorite market in all the world. It's hard to put into words how much I love walking through the market, sampling the food and buying loads of fresh fruit and vegetables and cheese, fish and flowers. Popped into Tally and Zach's flat and did a couple of things for them. Tonight we went out for dinner. It was great to dress up and have a fun night out with a great atmosphere. And the, the, the marketplace itself, obviously, for those that know, Machane Yehuda is a quintessential Middle Eastern shook marketplace. Thousands of people all on top of each other. The most incredible produce piled up. Everyone sort of haggling and bartering and getting their best deal. At this stage, the market's in full swing, right? There's no restrictions per se. In full swing, not a mask to be seen. Of course, we haven't started with masks yet. And uh, yeah, just the normal Mahniahood of Thursday madness, you know, it's fabulous. I love it. The world we, we knew. The world we knew in the old world. So now we have, I've sort of like, it's now March the 1st. And I, I'm reading from my diary again. Flew to Manchester via Frankfurt this morning and really weird there are so many people at the airport wearing masks and people were crowding on top of each other. Something to do with keeping a distance from people to stop the spread of the virus, which apparently is very contagious. Arrived in Manchester and I had to wait at the airport for two hours as my cases hadn't made the plane and my dress for the wedding was in my case. So I waited until the next flight came in with my bags on it. Rushed home, unpacked quickly and ran round to Nicholas to see the kids who were thrilled to see me. Ruth, that's my sister, picked me up and we went to see my mum at the Belong Care, uh, Belong Care Home. I was sad, I noticed quite a big change in her. She was happy to see me, but has definitely gone a little downhill. Boy, I'm exhausted tonight. So lovely to get into my beautiful warm bath and my lovely soft bed. I love that in your diary so far, some of the observations that I've really sort of noticed is you're someone who is very keen on noting what the weather was like and the weather and sunshine and the the mood of the weather is important to you and and also just the detail around how you're feeling this is a a living diary that you know as we said in the first episode this will be a, a living legacy that you know in future generations of the abramson family they'll be able to look back at great 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 grandma karen and and understand what you said and how you felt the type of person you were yeah, I guess so. Yes, yeah, so I am very keen. I like warm weather. I'm not very good with the cold weather. Don't like rain. <laughs> and I like being happy. I like being happy. And I'll tell you what, I think getting up in the morning, being able to take, put two feet out of the bed and walk across the room and open the curtains, that's what happiness is to me. So March the 2nd and 3rd, spent most of the days with mum. And I think by the time I left her, she was definitely much better, happier and more with it and more like my mummy. Yoni and I got the train down to London. Yoni's my son, my youngest son. Uh, we got the train down to London together this afternoon and I'm now at Angela and Yoni's house. The boys were so happy to see me. They are th three little bundle of, uh, bundles of fun and energy. This is Andrew and Yoni's children. Um, they're gorgeous little boys. And Angela and Yoni were actually going on holiday and I, that's why I was going to London to babysit. Oh, wow. So you're actually being uh, chief cook and bottle washer for these three little boys whilst uh, the parents are having fun in, where were they going? Marrakesh. Oh, lovely. So just briefly, they, they went to Marrakesh and they were, they were really needed. A, it was a very well-earned rest. Unfortunately, Angela called me to check on the boys after about 
a day and a half or whatever. Well, she phoned me every day, but this particular day she phoned me and she said to me that Yoni was really not well. So I said, uh-uh, what's his symptoms? He's got a sore throat, um, a little bit of a cough, and he's got a fever. Right, okay. And she said, this is the great second honeymoon. I'm sort of sitting here reading a book while he's asleep. It's very, very boring. So I felt terribly sorry for her. But she was so looking forward to it. And um, unfortunately, it didn't quite work out like that. And every day, he wasn't getting better, really. He wasn't really getting better. Until about um, the day before they were due to come home, he started to improve. Um, although he said that he's still still got aching bones and shivery. Mm, not good. Not good. Not good at all. So I was thinking, oh no, please don't have the virus. If you have the virus, you won't be able to get home. I don't think I can cope with looking after these boys for another week. <laughs> I hope you're not missing Angela because that's not true. You know, I love looking after the children. Anyway, they arrived home and Johnny said, he, he said, actually, I don't feel too good still. So I gave him a big kiss and a cuddle. Mm -mm -mm. Oh dear. Oh dear. Big kiss and cuddle and had something ready to eat for them. And then he said, I think I'll phone the NHS line, which he did. But it was very, very, very different to what goes on now, I presume. I, don't, I actually don't know what the system is in, in England. I know it is in Israel, but in England. So he phoned the NHS line and they asked him a few questions of which he said no to all of them, except for the fever that he did have. And she says, right, you're fine. You haven't got it. This girl on the phone tells Johnny that he didn't have the virus. As it turns out, he did have the virus. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, it's now we're all trained epidemiologists and virology experts. And, uh, but then, I mean, we were going on such little information um, and there were, you know, limited testing, especially in the UK. And, and he had it, but they told him he didn't. I mean, Absolutely. Well, they took, they hadn't examined him or taken a test or done anything. So anyway, those are very, very early days. Anyway, after that, I went back to Manchester and I arrived in Manchester and it was, um, I put in my diary here, Martin is on his way to Manchester and he's very emotional. It looks like Israel is about to go into lockdown. Does that mean we won't be able to get home? Really stressing. Do I really want to go home and leave my kids and mum here? Such a worry. These are such uncertain times. And what date was this? This was March the 9th. Wow. This was Purim. This was actually Purim. This was Purim. And it was a very strange Purim because actually, if you look back, you'll see that Purim was when it really started for, for all of us. This is, this is when people got in, infected very badly because... You know, the suitors were going on, there was parties going on. It was bound to happen, and it did. Purim was the time when, when people got infected. And we went to, um, we went to a party at the Beckner, at the Shul, and it was in, in Manchester, and it was great fun and everything else, and everyone was on top of each other, and everyone was trying not to be, but they were. And I'm sure lots of people caught the virus from that very one, just one small event. Um, I've written here in my diary on March the 10th, the news here is getting worse and worse, and Italy seems to be having more cases than everywhere else, and they will for sure be going into lockdown. What is lockdown anyway? I thought. Wow. So, again, these words that we're now so accustomed to, particularly in not only English, but for you and I in Israel, we've got all of these extra words that we've learned yeah. that we never knew before. Um, oh. And, and, and this, this concept of being personally limited by law 
was completely alien at that stage. I mean, this was the stuff of, you know, Second World War or bomb shelters or, you know, unfortunately we experience some of these things sometimes here in Israel when there are, you know, these unfortunate, uh, you know, missile attacks. But, you know, the idea of being locked in is, is a big mental health alarm that, you know, has impacted many people um, in, in different ways, but we didn't even understand at that stage. Exactly. When I said, when they said lockdown, I thought, what is, what is it? What can it be? Anyway, um, so I put in my diary here that the coronavirus is now being labelled a pandemic, a pandemic, pandemic, I can't say the word, pandemic. And every day, more and more people are dying and are testing positive for the virus and still no vaccine. I'm so worried about the wedding. What will happen? We have 450 people all looking forward to coming to Tally and Zach's wedding on March the 22nd. I'm spending as much time with mummy as possible. You've got, you're sort of fighting a, 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 you know, brackets war on a few fronts. You've got, you know, Yoni and Angela, he's had or still has Corona. You've got obviously wanting to see and care for your mum and the impending wedding and the impact of all of that. And then you've got Martin coming into the UK from Israel where they're saying lockdown. I mean, this is a, you know, a, a situation where you're, you're dealing with a few, few things. Exactly, exactly. And on March the 12th, I put COVID-19 is galloping along at an alarming rate. And now all the schools in Israel have been shut. And here in UK, everyone is panic buying. I went shopping with Dassey, that's my youngest granddaughter, to Sainsbury's and the shelves were empty. For some unknown reason, people are buying excessive amounts of toilet paper. And that is something I just can't work out. <laughs> my toilet paper, maybe they're making pizza with a toilet paper base. <laughs> Nicola is getting so anxious. What will happen with the wedding in two weeks? And we don't know what to do. We're thinking of staying here until after Pesach, which is another month away. And hopefully by then the virus will be over. Oh boy. Wow. <laughs> wow, what a statement. I know, I know. And March 13th, oh my God, this coronavirus is gathering momentum and the news is not good. Martin has told me that we need to leave the UK as soon as possible. I'm heartbroken. I want to stay with my kids, but Martin says it's too dangerous. Simon, that's my son-in-law, is really not good and I'm quite worried about him. For Tally and Zach, this is all so difficult, not knowing what will happen regarding their wedding. But at this Every stage, sorry to interrupt you, Karen, but at this stage, you're in Manchester and you're on the pathway to a wedding. I mean, everyone's thinking about the wedding, who's coming to the wedding, where it's gonna be, um, and, and no one yet had an inkling of any further measures. I mean, Martin's suggesting that you, you, you leave. Uh, was that a leave, get back to Israel and we're gonna miss the wedding? I mean, how did you feel? No, he, he meant the moment the wedding was over, we're oh, off. Okay. And um, actually the wedding, um, well, it says, what have I put here? I don't know. So, so it goes on. It now seems that Yoni has definitely got the virus and is really sick. I'm so worried about him. Not to mention the fact that I was hugging and kissing him last week when I saw him. Dassey came for breakfast to my house. I love it when the kids come here. I wish we weren't selling it. Actually, I'm really fed up. Everything is so depressing. We went round to Lisa and Zalman's, that's friends, for an amazing lunch. And of course, everyone was talking about the virus and it was making me very nervous. We came home and Simon was terribly sick. Tonight, we made a decision in light of the fact that the virus is indeed moving very quickly to bring the wedding forward 
to Thursday of this week. I pray everything will work out okay. So we, yeah, we've brought the wedding forward. Wow, I, so all of that planning and, you know, a wedding isn't a simple operation and, and you've got to suddenly juggle all of the different moving parts that create a wedding and move them forward by what, two weeks? Yeah, about, yeah, about 10 days. I mean, what, you see, we were hearing about people making weddings and people not going to the weddings or going and not holding hands when they're dancing and stuff like that. And it, Nicola and Simon are very responsible people. And there was no way they were going to do anything that was either against the law or, well, they hadn't brought a law out just yet. Although they were starting to. If I remember rightly, Boris Johnson came on the television every single day and he was making statements about um, you can only have um, a gathering of 50 people. That I think that was what, right, around about that time, there's a gathering of 50 people only. And then I remember he made this, this very dramatic statement when he said, you have to understand that many of you are going to lose a lot of loved ones at this time. And it was like this, and it was such a statesman's speech, but it's scary. And I'm thinking, it can't be. But of course it was. I mean, it really, really was. So we, it was very, very difficult. I put it here on March the 15th. It's all so difficult and emotional. I'm in such a state, packing up my house as it's sold, and the buyers want us out by April. I'm trying to be brave, but actually it's a big thing giving up my home in Manchester, having lived here all my life. It doesn't help that I'm worried about Yoni, as he's really not very well at all. And I just wish I could be with him. I can't bear the fact that he's not well and quite obviously has the virus. Tally and Zach are being amazing, so brave, and we've now agreed to have the wedding on Wednesday evening, which is okay, and then we can fly home on Thursday morning. I can't fight Martin anymore. So many more people have died. The numbers are going up as, and we need to get home. And then March the 16th, and so the pressure continues. Everyone is so tense. It's only Monday and we have to get through to Wednesday. And this was the whole thing. It was Monday and Tally was like, what happens if they make it only 10 people? You know, and it was like every night watching, watching the news to see what is going to actually happen. It was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And once again, I went shopping with Sammy, that's my grandson, and Dusty to Sainsbury's. And once again, the shelves were mostly empty. I mean, there was literally nothing there, especially toilet paper. Still haven't worked out what people are doing with thousands of rolls of toilet paper I've put here. Um, and then uh, tonight, Tully's friends came round and they tried to make us some kind of a head night. The world has gone mad and I've never seen Nicola and Simon so stressed. Gosh, I hope they're not going to be mad about all this. <laughs> the, the, the time of a wedding, obviously, is completely joyous and of course there are pre-wedding pressures that everybody faces like normal but this this was something else is what I'm hearing this is a very very tense period um, people aren't feeling the excitement of an impending family wedding it's just how do we get to the finish line um, to, to, to ensure that this actually happens and I think what what you're sh sharing here is you know, we shouldn't sugarcoat this period for you or for anybody, really. This is a difficult time. There are decisions that need to be made and you're sort of rushing these moments through. I would say, though, just from a personal point of view, hearing you, there are so many names and grandchildren and lots of other people that you're mentioning. Your life is rich of people and family, thankfully, and it's great to hear you, you know, really interacting with all of them. There's, you know, lots of shopping, lots of shopping with Karen. I think we could have another podcast, which is Shopping with Karen. Yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah, great. Especially if it's Dusty's with me. She loves shopping. Her favourite <laughs> is Tesco's. 
But anyway, that's that's her story. Um, so now we get through to March the 18th. Tally and Zach's wedding day, or so I thought when I woke up this morning. I will never forget this day as long as I live. Simon woke up feeling dreadful and had all the symptoms of COVID-19. A neighbour of Nicholas came round and saw the marquee going up. Oh, yes, I forgot to tell you that we we put the wedding, we shrunk the wedding to, I think, 20 people, and we were having it in Nicholas' garden in a, in a marquee. And she arranged all this, Nicola. I mean, she's amazing. She arranged it in, in like, hours. And the marquee people were, were putting up this marquee with a beautiful white carpet, and the doorbell rings, and this woman comes to the door, and she says, hello, um, I'm sorry to um, disturb you. I, I'm your new neighbour. I live blah, blah, blah. And we've just moved in here. My husband is a surgeon, a lung surgeon at the local hospital. And he's spending all day watching people dying from COVID-19. Um, and seeing you doing this, I'm begging you, please do not go ahead with this event. Whatever you're making, don't do it. Because you know, just by the very fact that you're all together, you can infect people, and it could they could end up in my husband's ward in um, in in the hospital there. And Nicola just felt terrible. She was just like, oh my god. And then when Simon virtually could hardly walk, I mean, he was just felt so ill that they phoned the rabbi, and the rabbi said, "I'm sorry, you've got to cancel the wedding." Wow. I mean, this is a bombshell of extraordinary proportions for all of you, and not least the bride and groom to be. I mean. This is, this is, you know, in, in some respects, this lady who knocked is a sort of messenger, an angel, just sort of coming to share the, the message of be careful. We don't know what we're dealing with here. But at the same time, you know, we've all got married. We want to get married. And uh, it's, you know, an incredible time in your life, even if it is just with 20 people. But this is it. You're, you're coming to the crunch moment of we can't go ahead. No, it was absolutely, it was just heartbreaking. You know, you've got this this young couple, they're the, the cutest couple ever, which will kill me for saying that, but they are. And, um, and you know, they've been waiting for a long time. And all I'll ever, never forget is Tally lying on the bed crying with her wedding dress hanging on the side of the, um, the wardrobe there, ready to be, she'd pop into it. And it, it was about six or seven hours before the wedding when... Um, we called it off. Well, I didn't. They called it off. Oh, it was pretty gruesome, I can tell you. Pretty gruesome. Um, there were a lot of tears, but it was the right thing to do, unfortunately. I can see that now, but at the time, I was spitting feathers. We must find a way. We've got to find a way. Find another rabbi. Don't do, Don't say no. Don't say no. We've got to do it. We've got to get them married. But you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't their time. It was not their time. But this is this is not like days or even weeks before. This is hours before you've got guests arriving and a wedding that's supposed to take place. Yeah, well, the main guests, you know, friends and stuff had been cancelled because of the numbers being shrunk. So we had family members coming up from London. They had to be cancelled, told not to come or they were on the way and turned back or whatever it was. And um, yeah, it was that was it. You mean you can't imagine how awful it was. I sat at Nicholas all day and watched them taking the marquee down. They're taking it down bit by bit, marching out the house with this thing when, you know, this was the, the day and it wasn't going to happen. Do you no. feel that when you dip, dip into the diary, I know it's not that long ago, but, you know, just looking at your diaries over, you know, these decades, the way you've explained it and written 
so far? Does it take you really back to the moment? Do you really feel like you're there? Yeah, I do. I really do. I don't think, I always said, uh, I wrote it in my diary that I don't think I've said here, I couldn't bear to see the kids in pain. In all my life, I will never forget the sight of Tully, Tully crying in her bed with her beautiful wedding dress hanging on the door, but it wasn't to be. And I won't, I won't ever forget that. It was, it was pretty, it was, it was just, it was awful. It was awful. And then of course, you know, um, Martin then said to me, that's it, Karen, we've got to go tomorrow. And I was like, oh no, but what, when, when they might get married next week, the virus could be over by next week. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so you were literally scooped off to the airport the next day. Episode three. Episode three. <laughs> wow. So, so we're going to be rejoining at episode three. We're we're now towards the you know middle end of March coming in, and um, the whole next stage of this Corona diary continues. But I think what you've shared with us today is a real insight into the impact that the virus has on all of the other things that we take for granted in our lives. Um, like getting married and being able to host people and sharing those celebrations. Um, obviously, it compares not at all to losing people, but this virus has infiltrated every single part of our life. And your diary is just showing us the, the tentacles that Corona has on the activities that we, 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 as I say, take for granted and, um, you know, big moments, big emotional moments that are turned upside down. And, uh, you know, we, we all sort of come from this episode really feeling for Tully, who uh, I know what happens next, so I'll save that for later. But um, thanks for sharing another great episode, Karen. Thank you, Rob, and thank you everybody for listening. I hope I haven't bored you too much. <laughs>